What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Shirley Halperin, Executive Editor of Music. Universal Music Group is the world's biggest music company and home to dozens of labels spanning every genre, from pop to hip-hop, rock to R&B, country to Latin, and niche styles like Christian, classical, and jazz. To run one of these companies is to associate with top talent, household names like Taylor Swift, Billie Eilish, Drake, and Lady Gaga, and the pressure to perform is equally massive. Which makes a label like Verve, which launched in the 1950s with the music of Ella Fitzgerald, and whose current roster includes left-of-center signings like Tank and the Bengas, Kurt Vile, and Aruj Aftab, a sort of refuge in a giant commercial enterprise. But Verve's value to UMG is significant, and this is not lost on Sir Lucian Grange, the chairman and CEO of the company. It's given the label the leeway to invest in traditional artist development, What does that mean? For some familiar context, it's like letting an artist like Bruce Springsteen put out two albums achieving less than stellar sales so that he can reach a Born to Run, his third and career launching release. Verve has its own success stories that follow this trajectory, like John Batiste, the former Stephen Colbert bandleader and master musician from New Orleans, whose We Are won Album of the Year at the 2022 Grammys. Verve artists did well at this year's Grammy Awards, too, which took place on February 5th. That night, Samara Joy, a 23-year-old jazz singer from the Bronx, won Best New Artist, and Madison Cunningham took home Best Folk Album. What's the label doing right? 
That was one of the questions I posed to Jamie Krentz, president of the Verve Impulse and Verve Forecast imprints, and a 25-year veteran of the company. Jamie was named president in 2019 after serving as an international marketing executive. He follows in the footsteps of several notable label heads in Verve's recent past, including David Foster, the producer who saw massive soft rock and pop hits with Chicago, Celine Dion, and Whitney Houston, and Danny Bennett, son of iconic singer Tony Bennett. Jazz remains a core genre at Verve, where its catalog artists also include Billie Holiday and Louis Armstrong, but it's worth remembering that the label also released seminal and groundbreaking work by the likes of Nina Simone, Frank Zappa, and The Velvet Underground. I talked to Jamie Krentz about where Verve sits in the greater music ecosystem today, and yes, that does include TikTok, as well as its cultural significance and decades-long dedication to A&R, or artisan repertoire, the tip of the spear, Jamie says, when it comes to finding and developing artists both historically and today. Join us after the break. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic. Welcome back to Strictly Business. Here's my conversation with Verve's Jamie Krentz. I will just start by welcoming you, Jamie, to Strictly Business. Thanks for having me. So Verve Impulse and Verve Forecast, these are the labels under your purview. Of course, Verve is just like such an iconic brand in music going back to the 50s. So Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday, Herbie Hancock, these are some of the names that are affiliated with Verve. And 
today, it still seems like it has those roots, but the roster is so diverse. I just want to read off some of your artists. John Batiste, Aruj Aftab, Kurt Vile, Max Richter, Madison Cunningham, who's just an amazing new artist who I love, Samara Joy, Best New Artist winner at the Grammys, which just happened. So I wanted to just start by asking, in your position as president of these labels, what is the through line between today's roster and the roots of Verve, the very like mission statement of Verve? We're very focused on a couple of things. Number one, we want to work with timeless artists. I think if you tried to draw a through line from Ella Fitzgerald, for whom Verve was founded in the 50s, through to artists of today, whether that's Tank and the Bangas or Madison or Arouge or anybody like that, including everybody else along the way from the Velvet Underground to Nina Simone to Frank Zappa, none of those artists were chasing trends. All of those artists made recordings that I believe sound as relevant today as they might have, whether they were recorded two years ago or 50 years ago. And that's the lens that we look at our roster through, especially when we're talking to potential signings. That's what we look for. Is this artist going to make sense here? Is it music of integrity? And our artists are not constructs. Universal is the biggest of the major music companies and has all these incredible labels, Interscope, Republic, Island, Def Jam. They don't need us to compete with them for that. They're doing incredibly well at the top of the pop charts and the top of the hip hop charts. And our mission is a bit different. And it is, as you said, kind of a continuum where you look at the history of the label, really proud, obviously, for the legacy of these labels, whether it's Verve proper or Forecast or Impulse. But we don't want to just be a legacy label. The last couple of years, we've really been focused on making sure our frontline roster is resonating for people and we're helping these artists find a wider audience. Also trying to remind people that Verve was not only a jazz label, even in the 60s, you know, when you had the Velvet Underground and Richie Havens and Frank Zappa, the label's always been the home for eclectic talent. And really, I'm not doing anything different than Tom Wilson and Creed Taylor and Norman Granz, which is uh, kind of continuing that tradition, but in this era. And so that's the through line, really. It's artists that have a point of view and are making the music they want to make. It's not about um, fitting into a template of what will work right now. I mean, it must be nice to have that mandate, that sort of liberation of we want you to build something here. I mean, did that did that come from from Lucian? I know Verve has been through a number of changes in its structure, both at UMG and internally. Definitely a lot of support from Lucian and also from Michelle Anthony, Andrew Kronfeld, some of the most senior executives at Universal. I was lucky, you know, I've been at Verve in various capacities since 1998. So I was here for some of those iterations that you're referring to. And I had the benefit, I think, of A, some really good work by my predecessors. Some of the artists that we mentioned were actually signed. I didn't sign Diana Krall, but I'm so glad she's still here. But equally, it was the vision, I think, of people like Lucian and Michelle that Verve needs to exist. Don't get me wrong, Shirley, we still have to make our numbers. There is a lot of scrutiny. We're running a business. But I think there's been an acknowledgement that in the modern space, a label like this can do both. You can still be commercially successful. You can win Grammys and you can do those things while still having the lane that we occupy. So the support's been really strong. We spend a lot of time with those executives. We get a lot of good guidance from them, but they also have let us kind of chart our own path, especially over the last three years. 
that's been a particularly strong period for us, certainly at the Grammys and with some commercial success, but I think also just the evolution of this team. We've sort of rebuilt what the label itself looks like and who works here and what their skill sets are. There's 45 people here that have had to figure out how do you deal with TikTok for this kind of music? How do you deal with influencer campaigns? How do we navigate the ever-changing landscape of streaming? So there are people here who may love music from all eras, but they have a decidedly contemporary awareness of how music's consumed now. Yeah. So how do you deal with TikTok? How is the streaming looking? I mean, streaming is our biggest challenge. Our music doesn't stream at the scale that we would like it to. And some of that's systemic. I mean, some of it is that the streaming, as we know, favors shorter, punchier, accessible music that you want to listen to over and over again. And that may not be a avant-garde jazz track. Equally, I think it's an area of huge opportunity for us. What we're trying to do is work as closely as we can with the DSPs to help make a better ecosystem within their companies and sort of say, clearly, there's a customer for this. When you win Best New Artist or you have the year that John Batiste did, clearly people are interested. It's not just the Grammy voters, but are there playlists you know, that suit these kinds of artists? And are you driving people to those? We get a lot of great support, but could there be more? And what can we be doing better as a label to make their job easier? I mean, these people are ingesting anywhere between 60 to 100,000 tracks a day. How do you cut through that? And particularly, how do you cut through that if you're making music that doesn't just reside, say, in today's top hits? We love it when our music ends up there. But, you know, one of the things we do is we try to go to them and say, why don't you take some chances? Why don't you put a Rouge Aftab in a playlist that isn't just world music? Why don't you put her in one of these relaxing, transcendental meditation playlists? We're not asking for favors. We're just saying, give it a chance. And then it's sort of Darwinian. The algorithm will kick you out if the music doesn't perform. So we're not asking for anything more than an open mind to put this music in places where maybe it isn't today. So you mentioned the Grammys. You've had three Best New Artist nominees. Yeah. Tank and the Bangas, Arouge, and Samara this past year. Obviously, John Batiste was a huge winner in 2022. He won Album of the Year. He won five out of his 11 nominations. I mean, he really was the big Grammy winner of that night. Madison Cunningham took home Best Folk Album this year. I would almost say that you've got the Grammys figured out. What are you guys doing right? Honestly, I think some of it is born at the right time. I think there have been some some changes in the Academy and, and the voting process, which has benefited what I said earlier, artists of integrity. I also think that these artists make really dynamic work that doesn't always get the recognition it deserves commercially, but it does resonate for the people doing the nominating. And also, we really try to market this music effectively. When John turned in the album that became We Are, the album that won all those Grammys, it was so clearly unlike anything else out there. And it was kind of the record that I think people who were aware of him were waiting for him to make. Some people think that that was John's first record for Verve, but it was actually his fourth record. And there was no doubt that he's a great jazz musician and a great writer and singer and pianist. But this was actually in his mind, this was the record he'd kind of his whole life had been wanting to make that was soul and pop and R&B and everything kind of amalgamated. And 
I think that that was the kind of record that the Grammys, in a way, uh, should be for. It's something that it, it does deserve songwriting recognition. He's great with visuals. It deserved a video award, which it got. The writing was really, really intelligent. He's an excellent composer. And it was so good that he was able to then transcend people saying, oh, the guy from Colbert. He'd also won an Oscar earlier in the year, which we can't take any credit for that, but it didn't hurt his profile. But I think the overarching answer to your question is that artist development is still relevant and all of these artists are developing. I don't think that was John's best work. He's still a young artist and Samara is 23 years old and Madison, this is just her second record. So the artists that are getting this recognition, I think part of it is because they're in a place that can allow them to evolve and nurture it. We have the resources, whether it's the financial resources or the global marketing to make sure that we're helping them and amplifying what they do, but also giving them room to continue to grow with the kind of records they make. Arouge is putting a record out in a couple of weeks that's a trio record with some great jazz musicians. She isn't just repeating what she's done. She wants the ability to show other sides. And certainly John is the same. And who knows where Samara will be. I definitely think Madison is a great example of artist development at work. It's amazing to watch her develop in real time. I feel the same way. When we met Madison, she was in her early, early 20s, and she grew up in a, a very religious household in Orange County and had just sort of moved to L.A. and was meeting lots of people. And she played in Andrew Bird's band. And the first record she made was great. And then when it was time to make the second record, we had some very deep conversations about collaborators and co-writing and trying different producers. And she didn't do the easiest thing. The easiest thing would have been to keep doing what she was doing. It's a great story of artist development, but it's equally a story of an artist who was open to some suggestions. And not every artist is, but she she was, to her credit, and her team. And they they were willing to take some chances. That's why I was really pleased for her when she won the, the Folk Grammy, because I think it was affirming to her that the risk had paid off. And she's also worked, she tours constantly, and she's just out there. And it's nice to see. Some people would call that old school. I just think it's hard work, honestly. About Samara Joy, I think she's kind of like evidence that talent is something you're really born with. I don't know that if she had gone through the traditional music school that she would sound any better than she she does just having sort of picked it up naturally. Would you agree? She did go to music school. She went to SUNY Purchase, but you can't teach that. You're so right. And and also she's still relatively new to singing this kind of music. She didn't grow up singing jazz. And that's what's amazing to me, to think that they who effectively started really focusing on this in the last four or five years is singing at that elite of an, I mean, it's incredible, but it, and she's more than a singer. I mean, she can sing saxophones, so like Ella. I don't want to be reductive, but she's a musician. She's a band leader. She's counting off the tempos of her songs. And she's also an omnivore. I went to the Knicks game with her the other night, and she was singing along to every song they played at the timeouts, whether it was Journey or Beyonce. I mean, she's also a completely normal, open-minded 23-year-old person who's still kind of just taking in all the music. But I agree with you. I think you're getting into rarefied air when you have that level of talent like she does. I mean, I've worked at Verve for a long time, and we have been sent a lot of singers over the years. A lot of them are really great but I've kind of run out of words to describe what she can do. I mean, that's why it's better just to listen. She's otherworldly. And she's also probably a better person. Sounds cliched, but she's 
so nice and she's got such a good work ethic and she's so unfazed by all this and i'm sure if it was me i would be insufferable like two days after the grammys and she's completely the same person that she was she was here at the office the other day and it was like we'd given everybody at the office laughing gas people are just so happy that she's here and feel so proud to be a small part of her rise we need to take a quick break but we'll be back with more from jamie kruntz Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. And we're back with Jamie Krentz. I think about jazz a lot. I don't necessarily listen to it, but I think about it because it's a uniquely American art form. I mean, in a way, jazz was kind of like the hip hop of its time. Would you say that? I love that. Yeah, we think about that too. It is something that absolutely originated here in this country. That's one of the great ironies is that there have been a lot of times where jazz musicians and jazz music have probably found greater appreciation in other countries than they than they do here. I mean, it was the pop music of its day. It's something that sometimes people who are younger who work here are surprised to be told that Ella Fitzgerald had number one singles, things like that. It's alive and well. I feel like I have at least enough perspective to say that in the 25-ish years that I've been here, jazz is in the best place it's been, both in terms of the musicianship and the quality of the records, but also in terms of the ecosystem that's out there to support it. Like jazz musicians are getting added to Coachella and Bonnaroo, and it's not as siloed as it used to be. I grew up loving jazz, but I also played bass in indie rock bands. And I actually see a lot of parallels, not only between jazz and hip hop, but jazz and punk rock. And most of my friends from that world love jazz. I mean, Flea and Henry Rollins and Fugazi, they're all huge jazz fans because there are a lot of commonalities. And I think the good news is it's a lot healthier than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Is any part of that attributable to the vinyl boom? 
Is jazz seeing more vinyl reissues? As many as we can make. We wish we could make more vinyl, but we're up against the same supply chain and capacity issues that every music company is. But yes, the vinyl boom has been really helpful. I think some of it is artists making more focused records. There's never been a lack of great jazz musicians who can play incredibly well and going to see them live is mind-blowing. But when you think about the jazz records that have stood the test of time, and we're lucky to have a lot of them, uh, but I'll mention some that we don't. Miles Davis, Sketches of Spain, Kind of Blue or records that we do have in our catalog. Ella and Louie, Stan Getz, John Coltrane, Love Supreme. Some of these records that everybody likes when they hear them. It's because the songs are great. The compositions are great. They're pleasant. You're not, you don't have to listen to them and just hear virtuosity. There are melodies and there's great interaction and there's magic in those records. And I think that there have been a lot of artists who've come along in the last 10 years who've brought some of that to the table. Again, Kamasi Washington had an incredible impact independently. We have an artist on Impulse named Shabaka Hutchings, who's got different groups, Sons of Kemet, Comet is Coming, Shabaka and the Ancestors. But he rose out of a East London loft party scene rather than just playing in the jazz clubs. But he brings that energy. And Esperanza Spaulding, Brandy Younger, who records for us at Impulse, Julius Rodriguez is an up-and-coming piano player and multi-instrumentalist. There's a lot of good jazz records being made. And I think that's as much as the vinyl boom and things like that, I think equally that's helped. And I also think young people are a little more genreless. It was very, very segmented. It's sort of like, oh, that's a jazz guy. When I was growing up, or you'd walk into the record store and make a hard left to that section. And I have a 12-year-old son who really just doesn't seem bogged down in any genres. You know, I mean, he likes shred guitar music and he likes Kurt Vile and he also likes Cannibal Adderley. Yeah. Well, also it's interesting to think about Verve was launched really as a label for Ella Fitzgerald, right? She didn't have a contract. Right. I mean, it's not unlike a Dr. Dre and Death Row. I mean, it's it's a home. Right. It was an indie it was an indie label. Yeah. No, you're so right. And and it was at the time she couldn't get the record deal she wanted, or she was being discouraged from making the music she and her manager, Norman Granz, felt like she should make. So they started their own label. And that entrepreneurial and independent spirit, we like to think that we've retained that, and it's kind of our North Star. I'm not delusional. We do sit in a big corporate record company, and there are benefits to that, and there are things about that that I understand why they're stigmatized. But I feel very comfortable saying to artists who sign here, the good outweighs the bad having this level of resource and support, but also the team. We're very internationally oriented. We have dedicated offices in over 70 countries for, for these labels. And that's also very hard to quantify what a difference that can make because so much of this music resonates outside of the United States anyway. Yeah. So where's the second biggest market? For jazz, Japan. Japan, the UK, France, mm -hmm. but you know, Poland. We have artists, you wouldn't believe how well they do in Poland. And Diana Krall, one of her biggest markets is Portugal. So let's talk about your background because you're a musician. Where does your passion for music come from and how did you land in the label system? Well, I grew up in Washington, D.C. And I always loved music and I was an early consumer. I went to Olson's Books and Records in 1983 or 84 and I bought Thriller and Lionel Richie's Can't Slow Down on cassette. And that was as soon as I had my first allowance. So I always loved music and I was a big fan, but I, my dad died when I was in sixth grade. And I think when he died, the only positive thing was, I think I then felt like, okay, maybe I can try music because I won't be in his shadow. And so I started playing guitar and then very quickly moved to bass. And I was really lucky because DC's music scene in the eighties was so vibrant. 
And also my cousin played drums in the band Fugazi and Minor Threat and the Bad Brains. There were all these bands kind of around DC as well. I was very lucky because DC isn't always this active musically. So I played in bands growing up and it never occurred to me that you couldn't do that because my cousin was out there touring the world in Fugazi. And it just seemed like, yeah, that seems like a much better job than anything they're teaching me in high school. And I ended up going to Oberlin College. There's a conservatory there and I, I loved jazz. So I was eager to study and take classes in the conservatory, but there's also a college and I studied English as well. And when I was there, Karen O was there from the AAS and John Theodore, who went on to play drums in the Mars Volta and is now in Queens of the Stone Age and Bright Eyes. In high school, my best friends and I started a band that eventually became French Kicks, which was an indie rock band. And our friends and kind of rival band at the other high school were the guys who formed Jonathan Fire Eater and then the Walkmen. It was almost like a collective. I mean, these bands became somewhat interchangeable. So after college, both the Walkmen and the French Kicks ended up in New York, and I was trying to be a professional musician. But in between some of the early tours, I needed a job. We weren't making any money. And the French Kicks were on an indie label called Star Time, which ironically ended up getting absorbed by Universal. So it did not by design, but I sort of ended up in the building either way. But my girlfriend at the time had a connection in the human resources department. And it was right when Polygram and Universal were merging at the end of the 90s. And there was an opening to work with the outgoing president of Verve. Verve and Impulse were going to merge. And Tommy LaPuma, who was running Impulse, was going to end up with the job. So I ended up becoming a temp assistant to the guy who they knew wasn't going to be there much longer. I figured I'd be here for a month and steal a bunch of CDs and make a little money and then go back on the road. And when the dust settled after the merger, they realized they had fired too many people and they needed an assistant in the catalog department. And I was still playing a lot with the band and touring. I had no intention of giving up playing music, but they offered me the job. And for a couple of years, I was able to balance the two things. But I found that, first of all, I wasn't the greatest bass player. And second of all, I found I really liked working in the music business and being on this side of things. And it might have been a little different if I'd worked at Matador or a label that was closer to the music I was playing, but I was not a great jazz musician and I still am definitely not a great jazz musician. So it was kind of a church and state thing where I just loved working with Herbie Hancock and Charlie Hayden and Diana and also working on these incredible reissues. And so it never made me feel like I was somewhere I shouldn't be. I was just such a fan of Verve and its history and jazz. And I still play music. I still play some gigs. I still play with some of the guys from the Walkmen from time to time, but this is what I do. And if you heard me play bass, you would agree. I probably made the right choice. Don Was runs Blue Note. And I always say, well, I'm the second best head of a jazz label bassist at Universal. I think he would agree. <laughs> so that's funny. When did you discover the Velvet Underground? 1991, Pale Blue Eyes. Someone put it on a mixtape. I was so relatively late compared to the Stones and lots of other bands. But I, yeah, a, a little bit late in high school, but I went all in. And if they're not my favorite band, they're in the top five. The Velvet Underground are, they're just to me, like everyone likes the cliche about everyone who bought the records, whatever anyone thinks about that. I just have to say that they're underrated. Whether or not everyone bought the record started a band and whether Brian Eno actually said that. But I still don't think people understand that if they hadn't existed, music would just be different. A lot of music would be different. And they were such a big influence on the bands that I mentioned from DC that I played in or my friends' bands. And we were able to do kind of a tribute album around the Todd Haynes film that Universal produced. And that was so selfishly fun. 
worked with Hal Wilner before he died. And just to kind of go around to people and say, we're going to do the Velvet Underground and Nico record. What song do you want to do? It's almost like we're all in a cult, whether it was Kurt Vile or Fontaine's, Matt Sweeney. Everyone was just like, they had a definitive idea of, oh, I want to do heroin, the song. Speaking of the Todd Haynes documentary, did that move the needle in terms of the Velvet's catalog at Verve? UME is the catalog company here, and I checked in with them a lot after that came out. And, you know, Republic are involved as well. It didn't move the needle dramatically, not as much as I would have hoped. But Todd also didn't make one of those music docs that kind of feels like an info mail. Sometimes you see these films and it's like, you made this to try to sell the catalog. And if you saw Todd's film, that wasn't his agenda. And he made a film that I think had a deeper mission. And so would it have moved the catalog more if it had been more linear? Maybe, but I just think it would have been so boring to make a behind the music Velvet Underground doc. And he was never going to do that. So we were really thrilled with the results. It was also a bit early in the life of Apple TV. It was sort of pre-Ted Lasso. And I don't know how many people saw it when it first came out, because I feel like now it probably would make a deeper impression because more people have that service. Do you work with Universal on film projects? I know John Batiste has a documentary coming out, right? He does. Yes. Yeah, we do. There are two studios here at Universal and then also some of the labels. Republic have federal films. They were involved in that Todd Haynes movie, but there are two studios here and we work with both of them. Mercury Studios is doing the Batiste doc that you mentioned and Polygram Entertainment, who've done everything from the Amy Winehouse film to the Ron Howard Beatles movies. Jazz has a lot of good stories. And there was a Louis Armstrong film, Black and Blue, that came out before the holidays. That was really great. So we were, we were really happy to be peripherally involved in that. And that really did move the needle. Louis Armstrong had his first Billboard Top 200 appearance since 1965. We put out this Christmas project. It came out right after that film. And I think all those things helped. Verve has had some... I would say like big names in the music industry run it before, like Danny Bennett, Tony Bennett's son, and David Foster ran it for a while. How much of it is you're the proprietor, you're the shopkeeper, and how much of it is I'm going to make this label my vision of music? Like David Foster, I imagine running Verve is very different from a Danny Bennett, is very different from a Jamie Krentz. What does that title require of you? I would also just add Tommy LaPuma to that conversation because he was running Verve when I really became officially employed. The big difference is they were all, to some degree, public figures, and I'm really not. So Tommy was a record producer and a record producer of a very, very high level, and he'd had a lot of success, but he was in many ways not a traditionalist. He was very different than David, who is also a record producer and a songwriter and is known for a much more slick commercial sound and had, was coming off of really breaking Michael Buble and Josh Groban. And it was a very logical thing to do at that time. And the music business was still in a very tough spot. And I can understand why David came in and took the job. And we actually had some great times. I mean, I was the closest with Tommy. He was really my mentor. And I spoke at his memorial service, which is the most scared I've ever been, much more than any other gig. But David actually brought a lot of good things here. I think ultimately it wasn't the job that he wanted. And there were so many challenges that were systemic, not necessarily his, but he did a lot of good things here. And Danny did a lot of great things. I mean, Danny signed Tank in the Bengas. Danny came to Verve and has, he has great taste in music. I had a front row seat to take kind of the best of what those guys were doing and then maybe avoid some of the pitfalls that were out there as well. So 
I ultimately don't think it's really about the president of the label. I think it's about the roster. And obviously, the president of the label can have a huge effect on the roster. But ultimately, if you're not empowering the A&R team and helping to find the right artists and looking at the marketplace, it really doesn't matter. The tip of the spear is the A&R. And then it's about having the right people to help tell the stories on the marketing and the press and the digital sides. So rather than sounding like falsely magnanimous, I would just say that I got a real-time user manual of what probably benefits Verve and also what doesn't. And I got to work here for a long time before I was entrusted with this role. So it's a little bit like I got a roadmap that some of those guys didn't get, or I have the longest roadmap. And that's served us well so far. Girl from Ipanema is, that's a Verve catalog song, right? Yeah, yeah, that's in our catalog, yeah. Anita, a couple of years ago, she redid it. She went and got permission from the family to sort of do an interpolation spin on it. Have interpolations sort of like boosted the catalog? Are you seeing more jazz licks like end up in hip hop songs? Has that opened up at all? More so with TikTok sounds and people like Billie Holiday's Solitude. We had a great story with that last year where it kind of took on a life of its own. And that's not an obscure Billie Holiday, but it was fantastic for discovery of her music. Girl from Ipanema, you know, that's the, one of the best known. Solitude's not even in her top three best known songs. Sometimes as much as we'd like to take credit, these things happen kind of organically. And there are levers we can pull as a marketing company with our catalog and our frontline to try to increase the chances that something has virality like that. But equally, I think the people speak sometimes and kids are discovering so much music and someone makes a TikTok and we're having a great moment right now with something similar happening for a Tank in the Bangas sound. And it's performing better than anyone would have ever imagined. So we are just trying to stay up to date. That is not something we would have even talked about five years ago. And now it's like a core part of our business. And we just try to make sure when we lean into it, we do it right. What about those playlists, like the mood playlists or the chill or the study? Is that something you guys work actively? Oh, absolutely. And during the pandemic, we did a huge amount of at home because we were all at home. And yes, we have to. What's our value to our artists if we're not increasing their chances of ending up in places, lifestyle playlists, mood playlists? It's like the equivalent of you used to check into like a hipster hotel and you'd always hear the same things playing in the hotel lobby. And it's kind of the modern version of that. It's the soundtrack to certain situations and certain moods. And yet we, we spend a huge amount of time and resource making sure we're well represented there. Are you involved in the classical music side at all? Not as much. No, that's really looked after by a couple of my colleagues, Dickin Stainer, mm -hmm. who is our COO, and he's the global head of classics and jazz at Universal. And Joseph Erke and Don Oledar are the kind of senior executives here who are focused on the music of DECA and Deutsche Grammophon. And it's really not my area, but we're a pretty seamless team. And most of our staff works across all of it. So personally, I'm not as involved in it, but I'm plugged into it. And it's a critical part of our business. Well, I was going to ask if there's been any progress on that Apple Classical app. Apple Classical? Yeah, I think there has. I mean, Universal's very involved in it, and so is DECA and Deutsche Grammophon for sure. I'm probably not the right person to speak with fluency on it, but it's coming. Could you ever see something like that for jazz? I would love that. That might be the answer on the streaming side. We might need something that's that focused to really achieve the progress we need in streaming for jazz. Yeah, I would be all for it. 
But I also think that as much as we're more than a jazz label and jazz is, is just one of the areas, I also think jazz doesn't need a dedicated app to do better than it does. It's so funny. When we signed Kurt Vile, we talked about what label he wanted to be. Do you want to be on Verve Forecast? That tends to be our less jazzy stuff. And Kurt was like, no, I love the Velvet Underground. I love that classic Verve logo. I want to be on Verve. And his first video, he's wearing a Sun Ra shirt. That's what I mean is it's it's not always even that important to make these distinctions because he's as much of a fan of the jazz stuff we do. And then we have jazz artists who were so stoked that we signed Kurt Vile. So that's what's, I think, really cool about the roster we have now is there's a pretty respectful two-way street going between all the genres. Well, Jamie, this has been so informative and interesting. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you talking to me. Thanks for tuning in to Variety Strictly Business. This episode was edited by Jessica Shalvoy. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes featuring conversations with media movers and shakers. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200 k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.